Crime Scene Today. I'm your host, Dan Zentek. We talk about issues, current and future, facing law enforcement, crime scene, and forensic investigations. Uh, today, we have the Special Victims Unit uh, from Montgomery County here uh, to talk about Children's Safe Harbor and talk about some of the issues and how uh, the multidisciplinary process works. But before we get to that, just a reminder, uh, the Crimes Against Children Conference is virtual this year, and uh, they have a scholarship program that if you apply, which is due by this Friday uh, for free registration, if uh, your uh, agency has trouble affording sending you to those type of training, then you can apply by this Friday as the deadline for you to go to uh, Crimes Against Children, which is normally a huge conference in Dallas that people come from all over the nation, all over the world uh, for these presenters. Uh, this year, it's still going to be uh, virtual. Hopefully, next year, uh, we'll be able to meet in person for that networking event. Uh, also, uh, early bird deadline for the Texas division of the IAI. Uh, is on May 1st. So if you plan on going to that, it's going to be in Frisco this year uh, for our crime scene investigators and dealing with forensics. So uh, make sure that you sign up for that. That saves you or your department $100 for uh, attending that if you sign up uh, by then. So um, in the studio today, we have Detective Robert Espinosa, Sergeant Todd Hoff, and Prosecutor Shanna Redwine. So thank you all for coming in. Uh, normally, and in the past, we've had Victoria here and we've had Carrie here and uh, to speak about uh, Safe Harbor and all the great things they do. And I know that um, we wanted to make sure to uh, have this conversation with it being Child Abuse Awareness uh, Month. And I know y'all have already done some things around the county. Uh, there have been some articles in our local Conroe Courier in reference to some of the forensic uh, interviewers and uh, some fundraising projects, things that we'll talk about later on. So again, uh, thank y'all for coming in. And, and Shannon, uh, if you sort of want to kick us off, because you're uh, you're on the board uh, for uh, Children's Safe Harbor, and if uh, I know some people we refer to it as Children's Safe Harbor, but a lot of places it's just the Child Advocacy Center, right? right? That, that's the normal term that's used around the nation. Uh, if you could give us sort of an insight into what the multidisciplinary, pro what, what the reason behind a CAC is. Sure. So, yeah, when we talk about a CAC, that's a Children's Advocacy Center, and that's a network of centers throughout the state of Texas. Um, organized by CAC Texas and our local Children's Advocacy Center is Children's Safe Harbor and really what Safe Harbor is for for the MDT process they're the heart of our MDT so in addition to their um, their function of uh, conducting forensic interviews for children who have suffered abuse or neglect or who are at risk of abuse or neglect to providing counseling services for those children and providing family advocacy services Children's Safe Harbor also helps organize our local multidisciplinary team. And when we talk about a multidisciplinary team, that is a team of um, prosecutorial agencies, of law enforcement, child protective services, um, medical personnel within the field, and, um, and advocates and victim coordinators that come together and we, we share information. We conduct parallel investigations and we coordinate with one another to make sure that when a case is reported either to law enforcement or to CPS, that we are all seeing those kiddos, that um, we are talking to one another, that there's not information loss in the process. Um, it's essentially, I think of it kind of like safety nets, right? We set up all these safety nets, one underneath the other, to make sure that we don't have kiddos falling through the cracks. And so with communication and coordination between all of our different agencies, that's really how we're able to do that. Well, and also, I mean, I know in the beginning, and when I say beginning, it was really not that long ago. One of the reasons it was created was have expertise in those areas because, uh, let's say, so let's go, what, I don't, 15 years back even, that officers were on scene interviewing 
the children, right? You know, and so you had a police officer that they went to the academy, they learned the basics of that, they went through FTO, they knew how to do those, but they didn't have the training in specialized crime and investigation. Uh, they would go to a sexual assault of a 11-year-old, a 12-year-old, and that officer would sit down and, I mean, do the best they could, right? Sure. I mean, they, they were trying to do their job and, and try to interview this person, and then they would take that, and then the child would need to be interviewed by the prosecutors, mm -hmm. and then they need to be interviewed by the SANE, and mm -hmm. all these different things, right? right. So uh, I know that that was one of the initial focuses in trying to create these centers so right. that the child didn't have to tell this story over and over and over. And so now they come there, and, and that's where they go to the forensic interviewer, mm -hmm. right? Right. So uh, I guess to start with that process, I mean, heaven forbid that, you know, someone has a child that does this, that has something happen to them, but what sort of happens when they come to Safe Harbor? I mean, right. what, what happens, like, what's the process, right? Sure. Yeah, ideally, right, they have to talk once and we all listen instead mm -hmm. of having to talk over and over to each of us. Um, from the prosecutorial side, if we, we have prosecutors assigned to Safe Harbor with our detectives, and anytime we can, when a child comes into Safe Harbor, they're going to be met with a family advocate um, in a safe environment and a child-friendly environment. And if they're there for a forensic interview, they will then be brought back. Um, they will meet the forensic interviewer. They will have some kind of ice-breaking time. And then that professional trained interviewer will interview that, um, that child. And law enforcement is able to observe prosecutors, CPS. Um, are able to observe that interview without the child seeing, right? It's kind of right. in a, so um, an interview room. They're separate in another correct. place. An interview in an observation room. And then from there, based on what we learned in the forensic interview, we can each begin um, our investigations, begin concurrent investigations and working together to make sure that child's safe. Following the interview, that child and their family will be referred for counseling services, which are provided by Children's Safe Harbor. And then there's also family advocacy services. So if that family is experiencing financial hardship, housing hardship, um, things of that nature. There are family advocacy services that follow up with that child as we're all conducting our criminal investigations um, to make sure that we're taking care of that child emotionally and um, physically on the back end as well. And then they will also be referred to medical services if they need a um, sexual assault medical exam. And those are done dependent on the type of exam needed. It can be done either at the hospital with an agency that um, is worked, is contracted through Safe Harbor, or actually there on site if it's an appropriate type of exam. So again, that child can get everything done. It's kind of a one-stop shop. Well, and, and you brought up a great point as far as another thing in the past. So, so we went from the officer on scene trying to interview the person to let's put the person in jail. But there wasn't a whole lot of care for the you know, child as far as recovery, as far as counseling, as far as that was a separate thing back then too. So, I mean, all those things have sort of built. But uh, now I know uh, in, uh, in one of the articles that talked about last year, there were 2,300, 22 children that were interviewed at Safe Harbor. And, and sometimes when people see that number, they're like, we had you know, 2,300 kids that were sexually assaulted. Well, no, I mean, these, these are ones that are interviewed. It's not that large of a number, but that, it does take time. Those are still cases that we have to review. But that being said, um, one of the issues and, you know, that we face, and one of the reasons that when we see that number, it's not in the paper, right? We don't see all these cases where, because many times it's a family member. Many times it's, it's someone that's associated with them that if we were to release that name, if we said, you know, we put this person in jail, uh, it links right to the child, sure. right? Um, so a question that I have, you know, and, and Sergeant Hoff or Detective Espinosa could answer, that when it's a family member, so you have, you have a stepfather 
or a father that is uh, sexually assaulting a child, and they're not bringing them in for the interview. Okay, obviously they, they don't want to cooperate. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are options for that? I mean, what are you doing when someone who does not want to cooperate, you need that child there for this forensic interview, but you may not have enough to get them out of the home yet, right? I, I, what I try to do is I try to convince the parents. I try to convince the, uh, you know, hey, let's let grandma bring him, bring him in or her in. So I just try to do some convincing there and say, this child needs to be interviewed. Uh, we'll try to get CPS involved because CPS can go over there, pick them up. If there's not, not a safety plan already in place, mm -hmm. they'll pick them up. They'll bring the child there. Usually that works. Right. In, a lot of, in a lot of ways, that works uh, a lot of the times. Um, there's sometimes, though, the parents say, we're, we're just not going to do it. Then we have to walk over to Ms. Stewart's office and say, what do you think? Can you read this over? Can you tell me if there's enough there for us to say, hey, there's something going on here we have to investigate? And then they'll say, we might have to subpoena those people and bring them up there. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, there's, and you're right, I mean, obviously, consent is great, you know, if we can get it, but uh, obviously there's legal processes going through. Now, you as a prosecutor having detectives cross hall and y'all as detectives having prosecutors cross hall, that's, that's not something normal in cases, that's right? right? So obviously, and it's something uh, definitely every investigator needs to, to learn and know is that we both have similar but different roles. Mm -hmm. And so where we're over here searching for probable cause and we're trying to get enough to prove this person, then there's so many things in between to get the beyond the reasonable doubt that you need. Yeah. And it's things that, again, cops don't think of because they're not going to sit in trial. They're not going to be the ones standing up arguing these things. And so I, I know until you're an experienced investigator wrapping your head around, well, I have enough, right? Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've done everything. I have this. And for you to say, no, I, I still need all these. And one thing that, that comes to mind with these type of cases is school records. Right, because school records by themselves don't prove uh, sexual assault, right? But but what do they lend to? Because you bring them in just about all these cases. Well, a lot of times the school records can tell whenever whenever a child with abuse has started. Maybe their grades have slipped. Maybe they have been getting in trouble at school, and that could corroborate some of the stuff that they are that uh, corroborates possibly maybe abuse is going on. So that's one one big reason about bringing in school records. So now, as far as the um, I guess some cases that y'all have had and and um, what are they? I mean, obviously y'all been doing this a while now. Uh, some benefits that you've seen, and you talk about slipping through the cracks. And y'all have, and we refer to the multidisciplinary team, but y'all have meetings. Was it every two weeks? Every oh, yes. weekly now. Weekly, okay. Yeah, weekly now. So so sort of give me an idea what what's the purpose and what happens at, at those to to make sure everything's addressed, right? Well, during the MDT meeting, we will. Right now it's on Zoom because of the pandemic, but usually we all meet together, and it's the prosecutors, CPS, forensic interviewers, and all law enforcement, and we will go over each, basically each case that's active at that point and the interviews that have been done, and um, we will go over maybe some ideas or something that maybe else, something else needs to be done for the care of the child or for the case itself. So it's really good to be able to share ideas and, and bounce ideas off each other during the MDT meetings are very important. So is there some type of, I guess, checklist, for lack of a better term, that, that everything has been touched on this case that, I mean, what, 
what's the point that we say this is this is going away, whether it's prosecutorial or we don't have enough? Yeah. And a lot of a lot of times, also having them right across the hall from us is huge. It's not just necessarily the MDT meetings, but we'll go and sit down with Lisa Stewart, who's in there. Shanna used to be in there, and um, and bounce a case off of them. And if and that they work right along with us. And they may get to a point where, hey, you know what, it's ready to be submitted to the to the district attorney's office for prosecution. So I think that was that's another that's a huge benefit of having the team there on site. The right. MDT meeting is good. Excuse me. I'm no, sorry. go ahead. The MDT meeting is good for me because I get to meet some of the Texas FNE people mm-hmm. or some of the CPS workers that they may have a little bit more turnover than we do. Yeah. So. When I get to meet those people, I'm like, okay, I put a, a face to the name, and then I'll reach out to them afterwards and say, hey, I have a case, and I, I have you on my Rolodex, but I don't know who you are. And so it, it builds those relationships with people that you normally wouldn't. And those Zoom meetings, that's what I get out of them. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Well, and, and you talked about the F&E, and that's something that's, I say, sort of recent. I guess it's probably been about a year or so we've been doing it. So uh, normally, uh, in the past, we thought of forensic nursing being just sane kids, right? And uh, now uh, we have it with family violence and we have it with uh, child abuse. So um, I know we had a, a long time that we were having to find hospitals with certified people mm-hmm. and did we go to the right hospital and, and all those type of things. So um, we sort of, I say, solved that problem. We definitely have a great work relationship. Tell me how that works now with the, with the FNE uh, type of thing, the contracts that we've done. Well, I think that we have a, we have a online web-based program that you, you put the information in. Uh, they'll put the information in once they get it. But it's twice a week. It's Wednesday and Friday that they, they told us those are the days that they want to do it. Um, and they have, you know, for the, uh, the acute and the non-acute. Mm-hmm. And, and, they, and one of the ladies did tell me one day, I went in there and I told her I had a case, and she said, well, it's 120 hours now. And I was still on the different, you know, 90 hours. But she corrected me, and we started laughing about it. And... But they, get, they have a lot of good information, and they are always available. Yeah. When you call them, they pick up their phone. Right. So it's, it's pretty impressive that if I, if I call anybody on the MDT team, they answer me. And that is crucial because so much of that red tape that sometimes you have in other uh, aspects of law enforcement, I'm sure you all do too, is, is just cutting through that, hey, I, I called you, I left you a message. Two well, it's, it's having those networks. It's having those people that you, that you talk to. It, it's yeah. different than... Me trying to get in touch with a detective versus I need to call Todd, mm-hmm. right? Because I know who that is, right? We already have that relationship. I have his cell phone. We're called. We we have those conversations, right? So, and I think that's sort of built off of that. Um, so, you know, uh, Shanna sort of walked through with with child as as a detective. What what y'all's walked through? Whether it's you know sharing a case that you've worked. I mean. Uh, tell me sort of y'all's process and how y'all are involved in, in this uh, process. Well, how, how it works with, with, the, with the sheriff's office and also any law enforcement, if a report comes in, whether it's through CPS or through like someone filing a report with our patrol division, it'll be um, now we work at the sheriff's office over at co-located at Safe Harbor. We handle right. victims that are ages 13 years of age and younger and we handle sexual abuse and serious bodily injury cases. So if a case is filed and it meets those those requirements, then it is referred over to myself, I'm the supervisor there, 
and then it'll be assigned to a detective. And at that point, the way it works is the detective will be in contact with the family with, within a very short period of time to set up a forensic interview. And the forensic interview is done at Children's Safe Harbor, and that is the building blocks of the case. That's the first thing that's done. And after the forensic interview, like Shanna talked about, that's when the whole process gets started. Um, but after the forensic <clears throat> interview is done, whether and we, our detective will meet with the family and, um, and talk about the interview and talk about the process. That's what we usually do. And, um, and then from then on, that's when the investigation starts. It, an investigation could last a week or it could last multiple years, potentially. Right. Um, because we see a lot of times that uh, disclosure is a process. It really is that a child goes through. And uh, sometimes they may not come forward and tell you everything that's going on. And then also you may have other victims that may come forward too. So the investigation is, is ongoing for, for years, potentially. Well, and that also explains why we have so many interviews, because you have uh, an example of, of cases that, that I've overseen where um, we have um, a softball coach, right? And so we have one victim that's come forward, but there's a team of girls, mm -hmm. right? And, and now we need to talk to everybody, you know, how long has this been going on? Who's he had interaction with? All those type of things. And I think that having that strong team that y'all have helps against, um, you know, and, and I've talked about as far as accountability and these things. Uh, one of the things I've seen whenever I've researched why, why these cases have failed, and I don't mean failed like that, um, you know, that they went to court. I mean, like they never saw court, like they never saw the cop, right? And it, it always, um, I say amazed, bothered me, whatever, that, that some cases would be four to five years old mm -hmm and never worked. And I think it goes back to what you say, is that when people call, they don't know how long our job takes, right? So when it's been two years, they just assume we've been working on it, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, to, to have those meetings, to know, hey, where are we at on this, to have mm -hmm. people review it, and certainly, again, goes back to that, that training and expertise in that area, right, to, to know that this shouldn't be closed yet. Because mm -hmm. I, I know many come across our desks that are, you know, they've written it off. You know, the kid didn't make an outcry. And that was it, right? So, and sometimes that's, that is it, mm -hmm. you know, but other times it's that disclosure that you're talking about that takes a little while, right? Um, and Todd, I know you had a case you presented on uh, just to give an idea of, of um, the type of case we worked. If you want to touch on that, that particular case. The case that we're talking about, it was a case I worked back in 2011 when I was at Children's Safe Harbor the, the first time. I worked there 10 years ago for four years and then transferred on. Um, then I recently went back. Uh, but it was a case I worked on a defendant that was was convicted and he received a life sentence of sexually abusing two of his stepdaughters. Uh, one was eight and one was nine years old. It was a very disturbing case, uh, but it, with the help of the team at Safe Harbor, without that help, we couldn't have got that uh, resolution. There's no way. We had, obviously, myself, my partner at the time, um, the forensic interviewer, the whole process. I mean, the, the, the therapy that the children received, and they received this therapy for years afterwards. And uh, CPS, all of us worked together for, to come together for these two children. And, um, and the resolution was he, was he was sentenced to life. And, and this was, was, it, was a, it was a pretty long case. We worked it for... I think it was about six months, and um, 
and he and and it was it was pretty in depth. And, and how did the case come to light? The um the the initial outcry was made by a note that the nine year old wrote wrote to her mother, and um and when the mother saw it, they she contacted the law, law enforcement, the sheriff's office, and our patrol division went out to the scene and took the initial report. Did a fabulous job on scene, and again, if it wasn't for their good work, it's very possible this case would not have had the resolution that it did. Collected some evidence on scene. Actually, the defendant, whenever the cops were initially called, he fled the scene and actually fled back up to um, Connecticut, where he was from. And um, once the children were brought in, a couple days later, I had them come in for a forensic interview. A sexual assault exam was done immediately on them. There was some evidence found during the sexual assault exam. And, and after the, the forensic interviews were done, we were able to secure a warrant, an arrest warrant immediately on him. And with the help of the state police up in Connecticut, he was arrested. He tried to fight extradition because I remember him saying that he didn't want to come to Texas. He thought he was going to be put to death. Right. And um, so he was extradited down here to Texas. And a lot of things happened during the course of that case. Um, we found out that the mother was still talking with the defendant. She was kind of torn. We were able to secure all of his jail phone calls, which we used as evidence. And um, and all that combined, he actually took a plea. He pled guilty to uh, the aggravated sexual assault, two counts of aggravated sexual assault of a child, and uh, accepted a life sentence. So now when you say she was torn, she, she was torn as to believing him or the child, or she was torn as to she believed the child wanted to stay with him anyway? For what we gathered was she was still in love with him, and uh, she did believe her, her two daughters, but she was pretty torn in, he was, he groomed her, that's what we call it. I mean, and that's what a lot of these defendants, what they do, they'll, they'll groom the child, they'll groom the, the, the family, and that's what he did. And, um, and we were able to secure a lot of evidence showing that, to the jail phone calls, a lot of a lot of stuff that we, we found on computers and search warrants that we did on his property. Because uh, when he fled, he left all his personal property behind. So we were able to um, search all that. We found some disturbing images. And um, all that combined, like I said, it was, um, it was a very solid case. And for someone to take a plea and accept a life sentence, I'm sure Shannon can agree with this, that's very unusual. But that's what we did in this case. You know, I find it more common... Uh, and certainly you know better than I do, I would find it more common in these cases than like in violent crime, like in, in homicide and one of those where it's like life or this, because they don't want that story. That's right. Right. You know, they, they don't want to actually have all this. They don't want the photos to come out and mm -hmm. they don't want the sex toys to come out. They don't want all the things to be thrown up and, and them have all this to the public. They'd rather just go away for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I, I see that here more than in, in the violent stuff. Yeah, and you know, I mean, those big sentences like that are a testament <clears throat> to the investigation, and really they're a testament, to, an example of kind of what we're all talking about. And whenever we're able to, there's so much information to be had, right? And there's so much information to be found, but it's not easy. I mean, our offenders, by nature of, you know, being a child abuse offender, whether it's sexual abuse or physical abuse, um, which is all handled at Children's Safe Harbor Child Fatality, you know, first of all, they have to have access to that child. Second of all, often it's somebody that the child knows or their family members trust. Um, and it's very, very hard for a child to 
um, to tell. It's hard emotionally, and sometimes it's just not safe to tell, right? It's safer just to sit in it and, and endure it. And so, you know, the statute allows for this multidisciplinary team. The law allows for it. And what we've really just tried to do is tap into, we're going to get every ounce of what the law allows for us to do. And so we've had the buy-in from, um, from law enforcement within the county, from the DA's office, from CPS, um, and we just really dive into that model. And so kind of like Detective Espinosa was saying, you know, I could, I could list examples all day of times that I've been out on a severe child physical abuse scene or out on a child sexual abuse scene, and I'm like, hey, that guy's name came up, you know, and, or uh, these kids, I recognize their name, and we've talked about them before, and then you're like, I know this worker. I know the worker who worked it. Hey, tell me what you know. Tell me what they're telling you, and, and you're just getting that real-time information. So if a suspect starts lying to you, you can check what they told another agency. If a suspect starts, you know, commits an offense, and we – something that we want we know now that we probably wouldn't have known 10 years ago um and you can probably speak to this todd right almost in real time we can say hey they have three cps reports not right. reported to law enforcement that are exactly like this new case that mm-hmm. our detectives working and then all of a sudden you have an mo and so it is just such a you know robust kind of area of information and sharing that information that really allows for you know, when I think about, you know, gathering evidence in a, in a child abuse case, you know, we're going to have this kiddo and they're going to give us a forensic interview. And that's our roadmap, right? That's where we start. And then any piece of information that we can find to corroborate that child, it is just a weight off their shoulders, right? I, um, I've done it, but it's so hard to put a child on the stand and, man, everything rests on them. And they're just carrying so much of a burden for a child. So anything we can find, like school records, like digital evidence, like, um, you know, prior offenses, I mean, that's just lifting that burden off their shoulders. So when they get up and testify, we can say, look, we're, your words matters, but look at all this other stuff that we have to surround you. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to decrease that anxiety, decrease that burden on that child who's already been through so much. And so it's just really, um, you know, the way our MDT team works and, you know, watching it as a, I was a, our physical abuse and child fatality prosecutor at Safe Harbor. I've done child sexual abuse cases and you know, now being kind of a supervisory position and watching our, all of our team members work, I don't know that there's anybody that does it better as far as the mm-hmm. MDT. And again, you know, Safe Harbor just really, they coordinate that, they're the heart of that. And the way we share information and the amount of information in which we share, um, it, it is just a complete night and day difference from, you know, if we weren't doing that, if we were siloed off within our own agencies, and it makes all the difference. I mean, it's just 10 years. I started in 2010 over there, and how much... Children's Safe Harbor has grown, you know, since the, back then there was only two investigators there and then two investigators from Conroe Police Department. We had one prosecutor, and that was it. And obviously CPS was there too, and we had two forensic interviewers. Now we have, we have five detectives from the sheriff's office, a, a sergeant. We have two from Precinct 3, and we've also had, you know, two from Conroe PD, and we have three prosecutors and a victim's advocate there too. And two DA investigators. And two DA district attorney investigators. So you just see how much it's grown and how we work together is is truly amazing. And the team that we have there now, like Shanna said, is you can't ask for a better team. I know the group of investigators I work with, um, they're amazing. They really are. Yeah, I mean, there's been so many times where Mm -hmm. Sergeant and I, we have these cases and they're like similar or they might be the same case Mm -hmm. and we are one door over. So I go over there and I said, are you working this? And he said, yeah, I was just looking at mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I, either I've already opened it or he's already opened it, and then we, nothing falls through the crack, yeah. you know, as little as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where you, that's the, those are the ones that really hurt everybody is the ones that, that do fall through the cracks. And mm-hmm. 
Sure. And it's, we try to make sure that that doesn't happen. Because yeah. like, the way what he's speaking about is like a CPS intake yeah. will come in. And we all review the CPS intakes. And, and, and that's it takes a, us all. There's a lot of them. And there, <laughs> it there takes are a all lot of, us. of them. So a lot of times Tim and I and, and Jessica Spinoza will also will talk with each other and we'll know like it'd be Epperson. 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 I'm <laughs> sorry. I apologize. My wife is watching this. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize about that. Um, but we, we will talk with each other about, you know, to make sure that you're handling it or, right. or we're handling it. And that's been a big change, right? Is So the statute, again, allows, it requires CPS to notify law enforcement when they get an intake report. But historically, that's looked like kind of, you know, mass, you know, faxes mm-hmm. or emails with no procedure to for anybody to put eyes on those. And so I was surprised whenever, you know, we really invested, you know, about five years ago into saying, give them to us. Like, not only give them to us, but an agency, agency leadership has bought in and supported us and saying, this is... Right. Volume is a matter of how hard you're looking. Child abuse is an epidemic and it's, right. you know, it's not, it's not something that it's, if we're, if numbers are low, it's because you're not looking. And so when we start looking at these CPS reports and again, I'm so grateful for our partner agencies from the Sheriff's Department and Precinct 3 and Conroe and outside agencies and Safe Harbor and CPS and saying, okay, we're going to set up a system that detectives put eyes on these, prosecutors mm-hmm. put eyes on these. And I personally have tried, um, more than one case where it initiated as nothing more than a CPS intake mm-hmm. report. Law enforcement had not been called, right? It, it, but it was a flat crime. I mean, and we have had defendants who we have taken all the way to trial and sentencing hearings who have been maxed out. And the way that started is we got an in- intake report. Mm-hmm. A detective said, I'll take that. I'm going to work that because that is a crime. Proved it, and then we take it to trial, and it's something that would have never, ever made it to prosecution. That's right. It would slip through the cracks. It would have slipped through mm-hmm. the cracks, and and I've had ones that even if you know, say law enforcement gets called, but then we're getting that CPS intake report concurrently. Sometimes we get it before law enforcement's even called. It gives us a jump, and um, you know, I've been on a scene on a near fatality of a of a child, and we're listening to what happened, and we're listening to the injuries on these children. Um, I was out with the sheriff's department actually. Mm-hmm. Um, with the majors detectives because it was we we thought this child was going to die and um, as we're standing there the defendant's name comes up and we had recently reviewed an intake report from two prior children that he hurt the exact same way and so that day on scene we were able to call the parties that worked that case they came out and all of a sudden we have all this information and he went to trial and he got a life sentence and so you know it just all of a sudden he couldn't say I have no idea what happened anymore Mm -hmm. because Two other kids who were in his care had been hurt in very, not as severely, but in very similar ways. And when he, you know, when he starts lying to detectives, they have something to put in front of him. And they couldn't so. have been done without the team, a team <laughs> working together. Done. You know, and and there's also, there's uh, employees at Children's Safe Harbor. Mm-hmm. There's actually five of them that are assigned to review CPS intake cases. And uh, we work hand in hand with them every single day. Yeah. And they're amazing. Myra Domey's team. Mm-hmm. And um, and so they will also review them, and they will know which agency because I mean it's mm-hmm. jurisdictional thing. Is Conroe, is it the Conroe Police right. Department is mm-hmm. it Precinct Three is it the Sheriff's Office? So they will know kind of where it goes and everything. But they're truly amazing. So there's eyes everywhere looking at these yeah. CPS intake cases that because, like on. Shanna says, there's a lot of cases that come from there. Yeah, you know. And I don't know is that is that system only in this area because. I've never seen well, it. Yeah, I, I can tell you. It, yeah, well, and and I can tell you sort of the the beginning of it because I was still uh, over majors and stuff mm-hmm. when that happened. Is CPS called us and, and they wanted to have the meeting. They wanted to say, hey, we'd like you to start 
looking at some of these reports, this, that, and other. And I remember uh, me and my sergeant sitting down with them and saying, um, yeah, sure, it's, it's no big deal. We, and we said, we're getting them. And they said, mm-hmm. oh, okay, great. And um, they were talking about like a team looking at them and everything. Mm-hmm. We're like, we get like two or three a month. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, what do you mean? says we're sending y'all hundreds yeah. and we That's said uh, and we said uh, no no we get them on the facts there's like two or three come in a month mm-hmm. yeah. uh, they didn't have the right email they didn't have the right stuff so yeah. uh, again but that wasn't being done that we, we weren't that was the start of it as far as looking and I know now there's if there's hundreds if not up to a thousand a month or so coming lot, in that yeah. they're dividing you know but you also brought up a great point I think we see it nationwide as far as our victims that are out there that when you don't have that forensic evidence, when you have their story, and you have that MO, right? You, you know, they, they, they do something the same way over and over and over because that's what worked, mm-hmm. right? And, but, uh, and again, we see that nationwide in, in all of these cases that one person comes forward and they're questioned, right? Is that true? But then you have another person who is not related in any way. Mm-hmm. They don't know anything, but they can tell the same exact story about this person mm-hmm. and then another person. Yeah. And that's what we find with, you know, a lot of times, like I mentioned earlier, the, the softball, mm-hmm. okay, or when we're dealing with a leader of that type of thing, right, where, where they have access to multiple children over years. And, uh, again, one person was afraid to come forward. They finally did. And it's now you have all these people. And it's not the fact that, oh, they were, they said they wanted more people and this person just wants attention. I mean, they can tell the story. They can tell things that you should not know yeah. That's right. that, that happened to you, you know, and, and again, you can corroborate things. And yeah, it's, it's very powerful to say. And yeah. it used to be that that MO report that you could get from somebody else would take you weeks. To yeah. Get. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if you ever got it, you'd be working another case or doing something else. And somebody would call you out of the blue and say, you still need this. I'm like, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about, but. Now it's it's almost like real time. I mean, mm-hmm. within five ten minutes, somebody's calling you, or yeah. somebody's on that spreadsheet saying, "Hey, they're previous here, yeah. Sam Amo." So it's just it's just so much faster yeah. and more efficient. And I, I don't know why other places yeah. don't do. Yeah, and to answer your question, you know, I, it is it's statutory. It's statutory. It's required. It's allowed by law. The communication is allowed by law. I think it was just setting up those systems where there were the personnel and the the um, the organizational capacity to do it and so mm-hmm. you know whenever <clears throat> our agency said you know we're going to buy into this let's 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 it still required time it's still required personnel and yeah. something it's, to it come it up with it continues to mm-hmm. yeah I mean, you have to have that buy-in from agency leadership from the community because i mean just to give you a sense of the scope right there are five full-time employees whose entire job is to review cps sure. and take reports coordinate um coordinate those cases mm-hmm. coordinate getting law enforcement assigned and it is vital you know it is just i always say you know communication is key right whenever safe adults and our systems that we have in place to protect children and to seek justice for children when we're not communicating perpetrators are winning and kids are losing that's right because you know the second we get siloed off um that's that's an easy button for a perpetrator right mm-hmm. i can tell cps one thing i can tell the detective something totally different because nobody's going to check mm-hmm. and that's when kids lose and that's when kids are in even more danger than what they already are and mm-hmm. so just that level of communication and you know, I'm, I, I've said it, but I mean, just CPS is kind of at the heart of that. And they're pushing that and they're pulling people together and they're coordinating mm-hmm. us. And, you know, if I have a case that I have pending 
and I'm prosecuting it in the DA's office and a new one comes in and Detective Espinosa gets assigned and there's a new caseworker, they're going to pull us all together and they're going to say, okay, here's what we have. Here, everybody, here's all your information. Here's the facts of the case. Here's how you get a hold of your people and here's who's assigned to what. And all of a sudden we're getting real time information. just getting like uh, staffing cases with Texas mm -hmm. children and Brittany's there to help me because yeah. I, I don't understand how the things that they're talking Brittany's about. Brittany's our child mm -hmm. physical abuse. Right, person. so yeah. she's fantastic in those meetings mm -hmm. because she knows all those technical terms. That's right. That I'm, mm -hmm. I would be lost. She's practically but, a doctor at this point. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I just say, so was the head messed up? Mm -hmm. But she's like, yes, you know, but she got me on one of those. Yeah. Uh, and it was a great, great interview that I had with those people because they were they were asking me questions. They were telling me things that I didn't, I never even heard of, and it helped me. Yeah, it helped me understand the case. It helped me understand mm -hmm. where Brittany's side was coming from. This mm -hmm. is why we need this. Yeah. that's the important thing for, well, for a detective. Mm -hmm. And Todd talked about it growing. I mean, I've been a part of it many years, and we've watched more detectives, more detectives, and mm -hmm. those type of things. And and the sad part is you're not bored. Right, no, y'all, sure. y'all no. are sitting around because we added more people, right? So, yeah. and and we could even use more in that area. Absolutely. And, but, um, and, and it was something that always, you know, because I ran uh, stats on in the past, whatever, and at least in our county, and I, I would probably assume in most counties, because of the thing we talked about before, where uh, usually it's a family member, usually it's someone that we don't publicize type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. I know at the point I was running them, uh, the crimes against children was three times the amount of any other violent crimes in the mm -hmm. county. Wow. I believe it. You know, so I mean, and I think that's sadly, I think probably common, yeah. mm -hmm. right, when, when you look across it because, again, they're the easiest victims because yep. mm -hmm. they don't fight back. They don't have, you know, the adult, uh, you know, ability to get away, to yep. have the resources to do those things, right? Um, and I, I don't believe that it's increasing i think it was always there mm -hmm. right we're just now having the resources mm -hmm. and to look for it you know i, I think more awareness too i think you know. so i mean that that brings up uh, another point that uh, we're we're talking about as far as growing and i know in the recent article uh, that was just put out on on um, building a new center right mm -hmm. because the current center that uh, we're in is many years old and it's maxed out i mean my understanding there's not another room I mean, there, there's no. Well, we've had to bring yeah, in temporary office space. A few yes. years back, our office had to bring in essentially. The counseling services had to move. Counseling services had to move. We had to bring in temporary <coughs> office, you know, kind of break down cubicles to accommodate more detectives. Mm -hmm. um, we have prosecutors, detectives sharing offices. We, I mean, it's. And also, we're, another stacked. thing, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's getting more difficult to schedule forensic interviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, if, you, if you run out of room, you're, of room. Yes. No, I'm saying yeah. that, the, yeah, but also the people and the time, mm -hmm. but you call and there's so many cases, so many kids coming through there yeah. that you call and they're like, we're booked for two weeks. And I mean, I think that that speaks to it as far as y'all have a great plan. Y'all have uh, a great investigative team and, and all the knowledge in the world, right? But if you only have so many people and, you know, making up numbers here, but you can, you can handle 100 cases a month, mm -hmm. But the county's producing 200. Right. What do you do? Right. I mean, 100 are falling mm -hmm. through the crack. Not by any means of, mm -hmm. of what you're doing, but by the lack of, and I don't even want to say resources, because even if we threw more deputies, where are we putting them? You know, yeah. where you can get a forensic interview. You take them out to the car now. I mean, right. it's mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it, it, yeah, spaces. You know, it, so I know that um, the most recent update, and I know being on board, you can mm -hmm. you can speak to this. Uh, I know they're planning on a new facility. Yes. Uh, they, 
um, they purchased land or they have land or they purchased land um, in in Conroe. Um, so there's land purchase and um, there are building plans. It's ready to go. There's an ar architecture company that's completed all of the plans. It's just a matter of raising the funds to break ground. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about Children's Safe Harbor. So a lot of people don't know, and you know, it might come as a surprise to some, right? Children's Safe Harbor is a nonprofit, and so although they work hand in hand with state agencies, CPS law enforcement agencies, governmental entities, um, they're not one. They rely upon grants, upon, you know, private donation funding. They're a nonprofit. And so they're not, you know. It is not a government entity. It's not entity. a government entity, so, even though so, they're performing sorry. a. So know, basically, if they, if they did not exist, uh, or there is not a county, and I'm going to speak for the county because that's mm -hmm. where we're at, that's where we all work. There is not a county entity that does this. Like Correct. if they went right. away, there's not a place that is providing. It's not like we've chosen them That's and not built our own. Um, They're the only ones. It, is it common? <clears throat> I mean, like around state, like Dallas CAC, or are they are they part of the city, or are they also a nonprofit? Do you know? You know, I'm sure it varies by jurisdiction as to you know what that looks like. There is some, you know, just like other nonprofits in the county, and and I won't speak for, you know other counties or even our county government, but there is some funding to be provided to nonprofits, but they fall in that category. They fall in the nonprofit, whereas, you know, our offices are fully funded. We're government right. you, entities every year. You need year, cops out there. You, you need DAs. So right. you're, there are they tax fall into dollars the nonprofit that go. Category. Right. And our, and our, our county and, you know, our, our bosses, our elected officials are incredibly supportive of the Absolutely. work, but that is, and that not doesn't to change dismiss, the fact that their their funding source is different than ours. Right. <laughs> you know, and, it's just, and it doesn't dismiss. I mean, we're not saying like our. I know our county commissioners. There is money allotted from our county budget right. to Safe Harbor, yes. but it is not completely funded by the county. It's, the county right. is not building the building. I'm not sure if they're putting money towards it. I don't know that part of the budget it. part, but I do know that currently uh, it's a ten million dollar project. Right. They've raised uh, three million so far for the new building. Uh, I know in the article that I read just this weekend in the Courier was that um, funding slowed down over oh, yeah. over pandemic. you know pandemic. Obviously, again, if you're asking for donations, many of those people who ask for donations mm -hmm. are you know businesses that obviously they fell on hard times yeah. during mm -hmm. during COVID. So there's there's those issues. Then again, just being able to go out and and meet and it's it's very hard to explain uh, to someone who you're asking for millions of dollars sure. what, what you do over a phone call, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. uh, without them coming and visiting, without yeah. them mm -hmm. seeing those type of things, right? Um, and how long how long has the new process been going on? I remember it was a few years back that we were talking architecture and yeah. where, and I know that's gone. Right. I think the hope would have been that you know we would have broken ground. Obviously, COVID. Um, you know, greatly impacted that. Um, but I mean, I think the hope is as soon as possible. I mean, it is a desperate need for space. And so as soon as that funding is able to be raised, um, the the leadership team at Children's Safe Harbor is ready to break ground. They have all the plans they need. It's just a matter of funding. And, and so that's what that looks like. And so they're in a, a capital campaign currently. Um, it's been ongoing. It will continue uh, specifically for funding for the facility, you know, which is diff different than their funding for their operational costs, but this the capital campaign is specifically for facilities funding. And and we talk about Montgomery County because that's where we all work and and our experience stuff. But Safe Harbor does not just serve Montgomery correct. County. So what all counties are involved yeah. in in their same process. Jacinto and Walker County right. also. 
So we're the large, we're by far the largest county and we're the primary county they serve, but there it's a regional CAC. And so they, those smaller counties, um, San Jacinto and Walker mm -hmm. specifically also feed into um, Montgomery County's, excuse me, Children's Safe Harbor's client base. Right. So they don't have their own there. They, they, they come here they come for their, mm -hmm. so, right. uh, and the closest one beyond here would be Harris County, Harris. which, Houston. which right. is the third largest county in the nation yes. who has their They're own. Incredibly busy. You know, yes. there is so it's, it's not huge. like they have other places right. you can so imagine go. that difference right you have the difference between a child being able to come in and be scheduled nearly immediately um, within our county with with law enforcement from our county and counseling in our county and advocacy in our county and law enforcement and cps all on scene from our county would be putting kids in a car traveling an hour hour and a half to a cac in a place that they've maybe never been in downtown mm -hmm. houston i mean that that is the next closest option and, and a CAC that has every bit of work that they can handle down there as right. well. So. Yeah. It's not like they're calling you saying they're bored. You got to no, think for them. No, sir. no they're right. not, not yeah. by any stretch. And, and I know that, um, Dallas was a model we looked at. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, again, going back to the crimes against children conference, which just again, an amazing conference, uh, covering all aspects of what y'all do yeah. prosecutors, uh, forensic interviewers just everybody in, in one place and we have some of our local cases being highlighted at that conference mm -hmm. so oh we have personnel sure. that are highly trained this year yeah yeah i know that you've presented there before yes. i mean so it's it's learning from other people's work it's learning from other people's mistakes yep. it's mm -hmm. it's learning from um the models that y'all are putting together yep. um so yeah that that's great work there but they i know had a more uh newer center i guess mm -hmm. that, that we had looked at mm -hmm. um how many or do we know how many i guess investigators how could we grow i mean like w yeah. if we were to build this like we have this 10 million facility sure. what are we what are we having how many more investigators mm -hmm. prosecutors what yeah. can we put in it i don't know specific numbers for like office space but it is it would um it would be more than ample space for more than the investigators and detectives and prosecutors that we have now with space to grow in addition to that they're gonna the, the plan is to initially get phase one built that's to get everybody over to that site but there is um, space on that land site for a phase two building, which would allow for even further growth. And so, um, again, the land is purchased, the plans are drawn up. Um, the first phase will be to get that first building, which will already far and away outpace what our, mm -hmm. our MDT members are in now. And then once they're there and established, there's already plans for the phase two, which will be just additional building space and allow us to kind of section off counseling and law enforcement and things like that as appropriate. And it would put everybody in the same building. That's right. Um, have they have they considered like ample room for growth? Plenty. Yes, okay. it's a huge. I think I think it's a 17 acre tract. If I don't know oh, right. is what they bought. We so just need a, a few more Spanish speakers. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> are they, are they, you they saying that you're me, you're staying busy? They use Robert? me a lot of things, but I'm glad to do it. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's and that's something that it I've found uh, a, a fault of some people when they build is it's like we think about the now. What yeah, do we yeah, need right sure. now? And I think it's put us in some of the situations that we've gotten into mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. that was great then and it met like the need yeah. then, mm -hmm. but now the county's grown yeah. and these things have happened. I mean, you think about how much the county's grown since 2009 when we mm -hmm. moved into that facility that yep. we're in now. And it's 2021 yep. now and it's... And I have no doubt we walked in in 2009 we were like, oh, this is yeah. awesome. That's we right. got plenty of space. Because we had that small house on Lewis Street before. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we went to what we have now. It was yeah, huge. But now We had conference space. We had but now it's, it's, I can't stress enough how important it is to get that new building and get the space. Yeah. Um, because the county's growing. You know, I mean, it's one of the so fastest the growing county, counties in the state. Yeah. And the more people that come in, the more cases we're going to have. And 
Therefore, the more investigators, the more yeah. prosecutors we're going to need, more CPS. And to keep the team together and working as a team, we're going to need the, need the space. Yep. So do you see, I mean, besides space, do you see something else um, that would benefit the team? Something that you think is either missing, so, I mean, maybe not another entity, but, but what do you think could be brought that would, it's sort of like we're always looking for like the next yeah. thing, the next level, where could we take it to? Man, the infrastructure is in place. I just I can't speak highly enough and of the the model that we have set mm -hmm. up and the amount of communication that's shared. We always need the spaces. You know, is a big one, and that's going to be something that Children Safe Harbor is pushing in their fundraising campaign um, on the nonprofit side. And then again, we have incredibly supportive elective officials. I mean, we care about kids in Montgomery County. Oh yeah. And so just always having an eye towards the need for resources, the need for specialized folks who are able to investigate and prosecute and care for abused children in our county. Because as long as we're looking, and the more we're looking, we're going to find it. It's just a matter of how many eyes we can, we can afford to have looking. Mm -hmm. And so just always having an, an eye for the models in place, the structures in place, and it is, it is fine-tuned, and we have the, the relationships that when issues come up, we can work through them. Mm -hmm. But it's, just, it's always a matter of personnel. Well, and, and I know sometimes there's a different different thought process. And if we can speak to, I know you started a project this past year with the schools. Yes. Uh, so uh, just some insight. And and again, it's again it's yeah. that um, what am I thinking? The kind of that just a notice, notice, right? Yeah. Just another person to yeah. have eyes on. So yeah, yeah, that's something that we started with the schools. This we piloted it this past fall. Um, I would say you know they they fall outside of our traditional MDT, but. Um, that teachers are our, our highest mandated reporters. They're high, you know, we get most of our mandatory reports from teachers. Um, what we saw and was scary during the pandemic is reports went down because these kids were isolated with no safe adults. They get back in school and they go back up. And so, unfortunately, teachers often come in and they don't have any information. That child might come to school in the morning and, um, you know, look tired or maybe act out in class, and they don't know that, you know, dad got arrested for beating up mom in front of them the night before. And so this is a program that um, you know, I'm proud to say every constable in the county is on board, Conroe PD, the sheriff's office, and every school district in the county, um, public school district, and we're continuing to onboard other agencies or city agencies involved, just where law enforcement's able to give a confidential notification to the school, no information about the case. All it says, it's just a handle with care notification. No details, no personal information, just um, giving that school district a heads up, handle this child with care. Um, and, and kind of bringing in that last large entity of safe eyes on kiddos. Uh, maybe if a child shows up and is struggling that day, it's not treated as a disciplinary issue. Mm -hmm. um, it's treated in a trauma-informed way. Um, and I'll emphasize, you know, no, no case information is provided, no personal information is provided, no details at all, just handle with care. Um, and the schools are trained on the back end to understand that that just means this child needs a little <coughs> extra love and attention, um, and and we're gonna then they stand ready to provide that. Mm -hmm. And so I know that you launched this. You were, you were behind this for Montgomery County, and and so um, as far as uh, someone listening that thinks this may be beneficial to the community, sure. your your steps were to I guess. Which yeah. which path did you take? Was it I talked to law enforcement first, or then I, I went to the yeah. schools first? Yeah, and I'll give credit. I want to give credit to Brittany Hansford, our child physical abuse prosecutor. She brought this to me, and you know it's her baby. But we um, we got with a really a, some of our core multidisciplinary team members um, and had kind of a planning committee, um, as well as Casa Child Advocates of Montgomery County, and then Children's Safe Harbor, um, some representatives from our MDT. 
Um, and we just started checking in with schools to assess the need for information. And then we went to the agency leadership and got buy-in there. And we set up the entire structure of the plan. We had that set up in our training, I mean, in our planning committee, and then just started going to each agency, trying with the largest agencies first, MDT uh, coordinated agencies first. Um, and same thing with the schools were an easy yes. They were, they're craving that information to take care of these kiddos. Um, and we're completely understanding when we said this is what we can't give you any any information about anything right. that's happening, but we can tell you to handle them with care. Um, and and I was very happy to, that our law enforcement um, lead, leadership was on board, and, and it's been piloted the school year, and we hope to continue growing it. So what's uh, what's been the response? It's been going out for a little while now. Yeah, very, and very positive. Um, we're not the first uh, jurisdiction in the state to do it. I, I think the first in Texas was um, San Antonio ISD, but it's nationwide. There's programs throughout the country. Um, and so we had a model to start with. We, you know, worked, we kind of tweaked it for the needs of our county, for the, you know, local, any requirements we had legally. Um, but the hope is that we have every school, public and private, every law enforcement agency on board. Um, again, it's just safe adults communicating in any way that we can, um, you know, legally and, and practically to make sure that we're not losing kids to falling through the cracks. Right. And we talked uh, a great deal as far as CPS reports. Uh, and how those come in, and, and I certainly want to take uh, a moment with, with this being the month for for awareness for child abuse and everything. Uh, what a person should do if they suspect child abuse, you know, um, as far as if you think your neighbor, if you're a teacher, if if you know, uh, that's where we get a majority of our cases, right? It, it's a concerned citizen, it's someone close to the child that's, right. that's developed a trust that that they feel confident in talking or or whatever, but I mean, they make a report. And so uh, a couple of avenues in, in Texas, and please add on if you all know, certainly you can call the police, right? Everybody knows yep. to call the police, Absolutely. Uh, but you can call CPS yep. uh, directly. They will create that report that is then mm -hmm. forwarded to the police agency. And hopefully something's in place similar yep. to in our county that mm -hmm. someone's gonna read this and get it to the right place. Uh, what are other things? Well, like you talk about with CPS, and they will also set up forensic interview interviews. Also, no, we didn't talk about that earlier. Where they, if they're working a case, and then there's a what we call a child at risk, where a child has not made a disclosure yet, but they are doing a CPS investigation, they will bring the child in for a forensic interview. And if a disclosure is made during the forensic interview, then um, our forensic interviewers at Children's Safe Harbor will make a police report, and an investigation is started at that point. So that's another avenue where an investigation could be started. And sometimes the the perpetrator is a victim as well. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have rules in place that you can't bring a perpetrator into safe harbor. But if it's found that there's no disclosure from that other child, then we'll bring that, that, that first child in, the, the one that's a perpetrator. Yeah, the but he's a victim. Offender. Right. Mm -hmm. A juvenile offender, excuse mm -hmm. me. But he's he's he or she is probably a victim as well. Yeah. And so that's how another one doesn't fall through the crack. That's the most important thing. And uh, Safe Harbor will, stays on top of us with that. And Absolutely. They let us know, hey, this is what's going on with this kid. This is what we need. Can y'all do it? Absolutely. Yep. And my agency, I can't speak for your agency, but I, I'm pretty sure it's, it's close. They're the same. They've never told me not to open up a case. Mm -hmm. No, everybody on the team is, is I yep. mean, we always praise the, the job that Montgomery County does in protecting our children mm -hmm. and appreciate all that y'all do appreciate y'all coming in today to, to talk about this and share that information 
Uh, and certainly, uh, one of the big things I certainly want to end with is uh, we need to grow. We want to keep taking care of our kids. We want to keep being there for them, providing the investigations that are needed. Uh, there are going to be fundraising opportunities. Uh, a contact at Safe Harbor. You have the email or yeah. If you go to the if you look for Children's Safe Harbor, Conroe, Texas, Google that. You can pull up their page. They have an events page. They have their direct contact and their email. I believe there's a donor page. And so if you look for them. Um, you can also follow them on Facebook. All of their current events are coming up, fundraising opportunities, so I'd encourage you to engage with them both at their website and on social media. So we appreciate it, and uh, thank you all for listening. And we uh, are going to be having some uh, other shows coming up, uh, so please tune in again. Uh, again, thank our sponsor, Planet Ford, and our Lone Star Radio for supporting us, and we look forward to talk to you next week.